Hello, and welcome to Resolve, an after-play show. This is an after-show for a role-playing game that does not have an actual play, where we tell you all the details of our game so you don't have to listen to it. I'm Sammy, and I'll be your host. My pronouns are she, her, and I play Asiri Amoli, the mermaid. Joining me is my wonderful co-host, Alex. Hi, I'm Alex. My pronouns are he, him. I play Moogle bounty hunter Smog and his companion Malboro Juice. Both use he, him pronouns. We are joined today by our first guest, Zach. Hi, I'm Zach. My pronouns are he, him, and I play Tao, aka Hatsune Mike, uh, <laughs> whose pronouns are they, them. And we are also joined by guest two, Dan. Hello, my name is Daniel. My pronouns are he, him, and I am the game master for this campaign. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. Now that we're all here, Alex, can you tell us about the actual play? Previously, in the feat, the performances are well received. Sierra calls the party to the stage, and the captain introduces himself as Terra. Geyser only joins after Terra calls her to the stage and promises a strider. After securing a promise of peace from the party, Terra bows to bring them home. The party celebrates longer as Terra and Aura leave for a lab with researchers. Sierra and Asiri chat about the importance of titles. Smog approaches Geyser, but she hides in Asiri's water and makes him invisible. The party locates Toroid for directions to the lab, and he orders a transport orb for them. Terra explains that their people fought to claim this barren world. They hope to return to their ancestral planet, Earth, and gather resources with teleportation technology. The party's appearance in the desert was a fluke of the first test. Aura and their team have been trying to locate the party's homeworld again, but they need the party's help with testing. Smog reveals his world travel magic, and Aura asks for a demonstration. With Thanos' aid, Smog transports the entire lab to an empty-feeling dimension for a moment. The researchers create teleportation spheres, which mold into archways to become sable portals. One archway glows bright and blows out. Thanos shrinks a strider for Geyser to travel. The party chooses to enter a portal that stinks and looks brown. They enter a swamp and hear a voice echoing, the world of spirit. And that was the actual play as I saw it. Anything to add to that? No, no, I think that was pretty good. <laughs> There's a yeah. lot of smaller shenanigans that happened along the way, but... We'll get into it, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of smaller shenanigans, now that you've heard the actual play, let's do a deep dive into the session. So, yeah, th this was like, I guess, the bombshell episode or the bombshell session of the game, right? We learn a lot. <laughs> We, we hit the end of our first arc here, our first little adventure where we, we're breaking into other worlds now. I, I don't know about first arc. I, I think we, we've hit the end of the prologue and yeah, started that's level one. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The tutorial uh, is over. <laughs> I had envisioned basically one major set piece, which was this last session, meeting the captain face to face. So these past few sessions were pretty much all leading up to all of this. It cannot go unsaid that the conspiracy zone was all true. We got it all right. Hole in yes, one. Yes, yes, We need more tinfoil hats. <laughs> the captain was revealed as Tara, Dan's character from a previous interstitial game that I ran. The first interstitial game that I ran. 
for context, that was also the first, very first interstitial game. So far, the only full game of interstitial that I've played personally. And yeah, it's pretty much picking off after a significant time jump after the events of the original game. So as the one person in this campaign who <laughs> was not in the previous one, who is Tara? <laughs> so where to begin? Tara was someone who grew up in this planet that was far removed from Earth, and they were ruled over by this intergalactic body that is known as the Governance. And in this world, Terra sort of gained some prowess as both a mechanic and a combatant in a arena where they use uh, these sort of armored suits to basically brawl it out. And it was kind of at this point where they were in this stage of their life that they were at least a copy of their conscience was pulled into the simulation of the very first game. See, to put that in context, all of my interstitial games sort of shared a mythology uh, sort of setup, and all of the characters were running through simulations of combinations of their worlds and the context of that happening was slightly different for each game but eventually in dan's game they uh dan and sammy's game they managed to escape and have those memories transferred over to some meat bodies those meat bodies happening happening for this case being Terra's original body, the one that was existing concurrently whenever this sort of simulation took place. It sort of was kind of an awakening moment in a way. Basically, their uh, original persona just was sort of had this realization about all of the events that this other consciousness sort of experienced. It's super interesting to me because what Terra was like in their 20s ish during. Yes. The first campaign, another in their mid 50s is what you said. Yes. So, a lot of time has passed, and a lot of stuff has changed, Tara, <laughs> since the last time Alex and I encountered them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, if if I'm going to put about a timeline to this, this campaign takes place about 20 years after the time that Tara's consciousness was originally copied. 30 years, sorry. About 30 years. Because they're in their mid-20s and now they're about in their mid-50s. Very cool. Gonna wonder if we're gonna see any more of the references back to the older campaigns as we're going on. There's been a few already. I I don't know if anyone's noticed them or not. Because no one's shouted out, Oh Mm. yeah, that's this thing. The place that you all started out in is definitely meant to be revisited quite a lot so obviously there's there's a bunch of room for exploration if so desired all right there is one reference that apparently was not intentional that i did call out alternative title for this episode you have to tell me if this is demon souls dan (laughs) (laughs) 
You bring us into a room with six portals, and the fourth one explodes, and we can't go anywhere. And the other five each lead to different worlds. I'm pretty sure this is Demon Souls. (laughs) For uh, for those (laughs) listeners at home, I actually have not played or watched through Demon Souls. And what Zach told me about this is like, my God, I don't. So I don't. I don't know any of the context for this, but yeah, sure enough, they uh, they have a very stark parallel in that they have a a seemingly destroyed portal in both of them. I I just thought that in this context, my sort of idea was that it would be fun to have, to kind of also really show just how limited the capabilities of these humans are on this planet in terms of trying to world hop, uh, just have one of their experiments just go catastrophically wrong. (laughs) Well, there's also this idea that there would have been one for each of the players that we thought might be setting something up. So it's interesting that there's only five. I kind of like that the head guys are just step forward and say, oh, the one that blew up is probably mine. My world was destroyed anyway. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> I don't know if that's <laughs> intentional, but it certainly <laughs> stirs the pot a little bit. I do like seeing the pot stirred. I also, please continue the conspiracy corner, by the way. I love hearing chat. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask some questions because I was thinking about part of a world belonging to Terra in our initial interstitial game involved Psychoglass, which I believe we've seen here, given some of the stuff going on, especially (laughs) in a series bubble. Have you or has Terra taken any inspiration with things to do with Psychoglass based on things that came out of the first campaign? Yes. So this might not have been something that we super talked about in the first campaign, but I hope you guys have kind of gotten the impression that now that you know that, oh my goodness, Cycloglass is absolutely used quite frequently in this modern context, its applications have evolved over time. And one of the major ones that this is a clear distinction in is firearms. When Terra was in the simulation, they only were able to craft basically kind of crude melee sort of weapons, you know, maybe some daggers or, you know, maybe a sword perhaps. And in this current context, you see guards who are armed with actual ranged weaponry that is entirely made of psychoglass. So that is definitely one of the ways that its applications has changed quite significantly over the past 30 years. Something I'm excited to see, especially if it might be related to our teleportation technology here is transportation in general with Psychoglass. Because one of the big things that I did with Psychoglass for one of the worlds that I don't think we talked about much in reference to Terra's actual homeworld was transportation, using it as a vehicle to make a spaceship. And that was the main way it was moving through space. Yeah, yeah. Well, there has been some of that is as well because we, we we've all sort of talked about this um i don't know if we've all said it outright but the sort of scavenging striders that have a crew of these three dudes sort of working together to pilot these things without any controls those are also being through psycho class surprisingly though there's no there's no starships like what we saw in alex your campaign maybe it's that oh 
yeah, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, there's there's only so much you're going to tell us, of course. We knew that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mean, said it. I mean, we do know that the moon in this world is real messed up. So <laughs> maybe there were starships. <laughs> Who's to say? Not me. <laughs> maybe there was enough psychoglass to do this at some point, but uh, now there's not. Conspiracy corner. Aliens came, blew up the moon, destroyed all the spaceships. <laughs> is there psychoglass on the paradigm the big ship that brought in the captain the vessel that captain Terra sort of commands uh the paradigm it does not operate through psychoglass it it definitely has a bunch on board but those are usually going to be in things to be used like in the moment you know is it you know weaponry for guards is it things to maybe patch up a hole who knows it it does not operate it does not it does not move through that medium my new conspiracy is that the reason they're having trouble connecting to other worlds is something to do with the presence of psychoglass like there's something about this material its existence in this world that is is fucking things up Oh, I see the some sort of interference maybe mm-hmm. uh, caused by it. It's interesting. I love the word interference in this context because it's not only like the physical blocking, but it could also be like the electro garbling of signals and things. So there's many, many potentialities under that <laughs> thought process. There could also be like a personality behind that. Like, is there a, is there a god of the psychoglass? It's <laughs> <laughs> intense. I mean, Assyria at one point tells Aura that, oh, the gods must be blocking it, and Aura's just like, no. <laughs> we have no no data to indicate that there's any sort of deity here. Well, Thanos. Yeah, we have one very clear deity here, but I don't think he's the one blocking it. From another place. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have any uh, deity from our world. Although it is funny how um, how Athanos is quickly attracting followers in the city that you all started near. <laughs> it's it's kind of hilarious that there's someone who are, who is not just mechanically designed to be doing magic all the time, but they just they, it luck and fortune have been in their favor, and they've been like you, they've been inspiring awe. <laughs> with them within them you know and especially after those performances and then being held up on stage for everyone to behold it feels like all of us are getting some sort of recognition whether that be fame or infamy time will tell Mm. but i'm interested to see if public perception is any part of this or if i don't know something terrible happens on one of these worlds and we're helped to suppress any of that information so that people don't think poorly of us we we have a reputation here, which is just interesting odds for the start of the game. Mm-hmm. Tao is definitely enjoying the fame after that concert. That's right. That's right. It, both Sammy's character and Zach, your character, Siri and Tao, uh, they both gave very impressive performances. Although Tao mm-hmm. is very much in tune with how people listen to their music. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, gonna have to make sure everyone turns down the volume on that music button Discord for whenever we record next. <laughs> that was I think so I, loud. I might have blown out some of your earphones. I had it at maximum. <laughs> what the hell is happening? <laughs> uh, I, I, no one, Zach, I will say I do appreciate the immersion. 
<laughs> like, don't, definitely yeah. don't stop with that. It, it it definitely undercut the scene and was just like, whoa, I'm at a concert now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, kind of bouncing to the previous point, I'll just kind of reiterate that, like, what I told you guys in, like, the session zero, that, like, you know, this is a situation where the worlds don't reset once you leave them. Like, everything that is going to go on is going to sort of persist. So making impressions with this city here in your guys' hub world is... Um, you know, unless some sort of magic goes through to wipe people's memories, it'll it'll probably last. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things I'm I'm pretty excited about is a exploring the hub world because we've already we we talked about this a little in past episodes, but there's so much going on in the hub world that like you could spend perhaps the entire campaign just here. But, you know, now we've been shuttled into the smaller worlds that we're going to investigate. And I'm like, ooh, new things to look at. There's just so much going on. <laughs> Yeah, and this is like, you know, this is just one location on this one planet. So there's a lot to do. So so you guys would, you know, like, like if, if you guys so choose, but I, uh, I'm definitely really excited for you guys to see the world hopping and the different dimensions that you guys can enter. That's, that's one of, one of my favorite parts about preparing for this. Yeah, very excited to see that. That's kind of one of the core bits of interstitial, and it's always <laughs> interesting to see. Yeah, this um this campaign definitely had a a fairly different type of start for an interstitial game. I this is my first time GMing for people listening, and you know somewhere in my brain got cut up that I would start this with a sort of literary pacing as opposed to a tabletop pacing. But I think as of this session, I think it started to pick up, and I hope to keep that momentum. One of the things that I was very excited about to learn was Sierra was actually the character fives from tara's backstory and that made me very happy because fives was a wild dude back then and now it's good to see that he's still a wild dude now Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah so sierra is a pretty interesting sort of reference to the original campaign because i i had just supplied alex with the sort of default names and at the time you know tara and her people their names they were actually they went by numbers instead and so her sort of trainer for her combat arena they their designation was just 555 and i i sent that to alex and then one of the worlds that was part of like tara's sort of mishmash they made a presence but they were renamed and they were renamed to sierra and so that is uh, a sort of a sort of subtle nod, maybe not so subtle nod. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, I was like, hey, what if you know when they got names just normally? What if fate just sort of played out? Although the gender is completely different from that other context too, but that's okay. Yeah, and we had that whole conversation because Siri was upset at herself for confronting Tara a little bit more and asking for help with her own world if she was able to get back. So she had this issue of confronting authority and they had this conversation about titles and their importance and do they matter if you do the work or not. Yeah, because Asiri was definitely having a moment of, oh my god, I spoke out of turn. You know, this is not the proper thing to do. You are she she would view Tara as like the ult the the high priest here the ultimate authority on this particular place and therefore it is her 
duty to act in kind to whatever they have. But they don't understand that that power structure has been completely blown away here. So they're just like, oh my god, I spoke out of turn. Uh, what's, I'm, what, I'm going to get punished for this. She's just sort of beating herself mentally. And Sierra comes over and it's just like, hey, that doesn't matter anymore. And they have this really lovely scene where it's just like, Grandpa is just comforting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, what I think I really like about Isiri in this hub world is that there's a bit of a shared experience, you know? They both come from people who are very connected to the sea. Isiri more so, uh, I would say. But they're also people who are very used to a, a kind of structured society, at least initially, except there's been some changes on this current world. There's been a lot of experience that has grown from it. So Sierra was sort of able to connect to Asiri pretty well on that subject. It showed a, a contrast to what they originally came out with as being sort of reserved and like judgmental drinking, that sort of thing, when all of the group was together on that first little science area now after this party he's let loose a little bit and he showed a much softer side and i think a was like oh you're not what i thought you were and maybe what's going on here isn't quite what i thought it was either yeah definitely definitely i think i think you hit the nail on the head with that yeah that conversation made me think a little about why why hasn't smog had this reckoning with authority and i think he's in a unique position in this group and that he feels like a mediary between the powers that be and the normal people because of his own like history and his world. And then I think about how our memories especially are doing things and they feel more beholden to people. They feel like completely on the other end of that, but also see themselves as having a duty to the people instead of reigning over them. So it's interesting to see these different reflections of power these characters yeah what do you think in terms of smog's background because from my perception of it it's like in terms of the the mortal the standard realm uh, of people it's like oh things are you know they have structures to them but also you know corporations are pretty much able to do whatever they want here but on the other hand in the more spiritual realm in the immortal plane it's like wow there's like these structures but like there's also like that sort of earned respect and reverence that is held there too there's definitely a feeling that the the people on the ground the mortals have have lost their way and i need to help them find that again or i need to move society in such a way that will do that but I am also unfortunately a product of it and have to exist within it. So there are things about me that are not going to be perfect, but I can guide other people to betterment. Why do you think Smog has chosen that as his duty? Like what, what drove him to be like, oh, I must do that? It's incredibly cultural for him. And I think that's a little, a little goes with like Moogles in general and Final Fantasy stuff. They're always like your crafters. They're always helpful little guides sometimes they're like a sidekick character. So I think that was a sort of inspiration from doing that. But in terms of his own world, it's it's just a cultural thing. Like we were placed in the mortal plane as a punishment, yes, but also because there was a need to be fulfilled. Something I'd like to touch upon in this episode were, what were your guys' thoughts going through your head as the captain was sort of walking down the line 
and acknowledging each one of you guys. I assume for uh, Sammy and Alex, there was definitely some sirens going off. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is it. This is it. This is the moment where our tinfoil hats are true. So it, Sammy was like, oh shit, this is dope as hell. But Asiri was like cowering in fear because even though Asiri is much larger than the, the <laughs> battle suit that Terra wears, which is eight feet tall, it's it's still, it's A, something she's never seen before. She's never seen a mechanical thing like that with such intricacies and decorum because you also described it as being painted in certain places and having these intricate details. But also like... The, this character comes in with the shoulders of authority and she's like, oh no, I'm getting my comeuppance right now. <laughs> I'm going to be punished for my actions now. <laughs> I love just the like, I like it when we have a little pattern, there's a little symmetry to things. So everybody getting a, yes, I've been looking at you and what you've been doing so far. And most of us having a little quip back was really fun for me. Yeah, that was that was very nice. I think from Tao's end, they were like, "Hey, the guest of honor that I was just performing for is here. I've heard so much about you. Good to see you." Not really in the mind of that authority perspective, like a Siri was, but just like, "Hope you had a good time. Hope you're a fan now." <laughs> yeah. Hey, check out my merch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go check in the back. We got CDs for sale. <laughs> I'm peeking at my notes here from that part. And yeah. Tara had a little dig at Tao being like, I saw you got in our communications. And Tao just like, it goes right over their head. They're just yeah. like, oh yeah, my buddy was talking. I'm going to talk. Yeah. Like, I want to say hi. I, I saw you were talking and I just wanted to get in there and say hi. Like, that that idea of like private communication might not be something that really occurs to Tao <laughs> as this entirely digital being. It's like, yeah, if you wanted it to be private, then you would encrypt it or something. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Make it actually hard for me to access. Yeah. Like it's like you, you wrote it on the wall basically. And I, just wrote back <laughs> so i'm learning that a new influence on tau is don't take it personally babe it just ain't your story mm, possibly <laughs> yes that, <laughs> for anyone who does not know that very obscure visual novel oh it's so good it's free to play it yeah it's basically you play as a teacher who has access to all of their students text messages uh, because basically the students are like, yeah, privacy's dead, whatever. Wow. Hellscape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that and I hate that. It's interesting narratively, but... Uh. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like that the, the captain goes around and digs all of us. Like, they, they definitely dig at a Siri and Pony for uh, attacking Toroid. <laughs> 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 poor, poor Toroid. Oh, so I got my my personal favorite line, maybe of the game so far, after the captain was like, I hear you nearly blasted a scout, but I'm told it was a good shot, and Smog's just like, sort of like, oh, I could do it better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Smog's just like, yeah, it was, it was alright, I could do better. <laughs> Is there anything now that you guys have had some additional context? Is there anything that mentally you guys are sort of readdressing from what you've seen already 
I think for Tau, at least, having the additional context of, like, the experiments that these people were doing... Well, I as a player, maybe not Tau in-game, but I'm definitely thinking, like, they've said that they want to find an uninhabited world just full of resources for them to take freely where there aren't going to be any issues... What's going to happen when they find an inhabited world full of a bunch of resources that they might have to fight people for? I don't know if if we're necessarily working with the good guys here, but we'll see where that goes. Smog is having similar thoughts, and that led him to creating a dark link with Terra. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely something to keep in mind because, you know, you guys have gotten acquainted with these people but there's a lot that's happened to them as you can tell yeah that's it's a very it's definitely a very interesting question that i i hope we can dive more into throughout the course of the campaign yeah to be fair for smog i don't know if that's necessarily a reassessment of things he has a natural distrust of other mortals but the scale at which devastation could be happening is very different than what he's seen in other worlds so far yeah, I know. Smog and Pony, at least, are very distrustful of humans trying to enslave others and eat up all the resources they can. So that'll definitely be something interesting to look at. The discussion of resources is interesting in that, at least from a series perspective, is that there's almost none where she is anyway. So whenever you do find something, it's like feast or famine. I, I don't know if she has the mental awareness, or not the mental awareness, but the the cultural awareness, I guess, to really come to terms with what Aura and Terra are proposing with this basic colonization of some other place. I don't know if she understands the ramifications that that might hold, because that's just not something that happens. I was going to say, it's kind of interesting that Asiri was sort of, and this is kind of like where they spoke up, is that they were basically asking the captain for some help potentially if, you know, they're able to get back to their homeworld if they can help with their hunger crisis that yes. they're currently having there. Asiri is a little bit gullible, but at the same time, it's because she knows when people are lying to her. So she generally assumes if she doesn't get that, you know, click, then people are telling the truth so oh you she can sense tara eagerly wants to take care of her people and you know if they're able to take care of what problems are here a series like oh maybe you can help my people with our problems maybe if i help you you help me that sort of situation i don't think she's like keyed in on like "Mm, there might be something else going on here that i don't know about but she's like oh i can solve all of these problems at once in sort of that vein, I don't think Smog has realized that this is not a capitalist world yet. He's asked about Gil multiple times. Like, money is always so important in role-playing games in general, video game role-playing games in general, but Final Fantasy especially accumulate just a massive Gil as you go through. So he doesn't understand why people are not, like, negotiating their performance contracts or why money hasn't been discussed as a reward for doing any of this yet. <laughs> yeah. That is that's that is another good point to keep in mind too. Yeah. We were talking a little bit about Tao last time on the pod and we were wondering does Tao just work for free technically since no one understands that they're sapient? Yeah, 
Pretty much. I mean, also in their home world, like, Tao's not really going to be able to spend the money on anything because, you know, they're a fully digital being that can presumably just subsist off of off of the fans adoration basically work for free (laughs) i imagine does that bother them in any way no i don't think it does because i don't think that they really have a use for the money designed as like a uh free to download alternative to the big corporations making making other vocaloid software so it might start to become a consideration as we go along as possibly seeing the rest of the party buying some luxuries or whatnot that Tao has never really had to worry about money before. <laughs> yeah, it could be something interesting that comes up or it could be that Tao is perfectly fine just getting whatever they can out of the power of the fans and digitally generating things for themselves that they can with that power. There was a moment I did want to talk about in Tara was just like just talking to the group is like, hey, we'll we'll get you home, but you just need to be peaceful. And Pony steps up and says, what if I don't want to go back to where I was and ask Athanos if they could go home with them? <laughs> <laughs> and then it was just like, sure, more worshippers, let's go. But it, it certainly poses a problem, at least on like a macro scale, if you don't go back to where you started, I think. Or maybe not a problem, but at least it could cause some quirks in the system. Do you think there's some ramifications that are going to happen because of this? Well, I think one person who'd be most qualified to answer that is probably Alex and their character, Smug. <laughs> I mean... Smog has been going to different worlds, causing trouble, and then immediately leaving for quite some time now. So no, there's no issues with that at all, and you shouldn't question it. Just as long as you keep moving, keep going to different worlds, you'll be fine. It'll all be fine. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. A Siri can do that. <laughs> so in the last interstitial game that I was in, that Alex ran, that no one else uh, in this group was in that also actually happened where uh, one of the characters decided that she didn't want to go back to her own world she wanted to come to uh, my character's worlds at the end that definitely did end up causing some more problems because as we mentioned before those uh, were simulations that our consciousness went into and our real bodies were still back in our own worlds. Well, (laughs) no, your game was actually slightly different because of issues that I saw with the other games. And I was thinking like, what is a slightly more ethical approach to this that can get messed up? So we essentially have to do the same thing, but we can end things a little differently maybe. So for Zach's game, the characters had been recruited to do this experiment and it was supposed to be a better version of it. It wasn't, it was the same normal one because of some issues, but they were in a facility where they were all together physically and quote unquote sleeping basically. Oh, I, I might not have fully picked up on that, that we had all gotten to the same hub world and then gone into the simulation. Yep. So your, your bodies were returned to a little facility before you were able to go back out where you wanted to. The, basically, the idea was they wanted to do the testing without any physical ramifications to anyone and without terrorizing any societies. These 
test subjects. So <laughs> the idea was to receive consent this time, not treat them as just digital beings, and then return the memories to their normal bodies in, in this particular run. So my idea for, for their run was like, what if this was done ethically and with the idea that these AI that are acting like people will eventually be returned to a body that is going to act like a, a normal person would? Yeah, like a kind of inception. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> the other two games, they were just completely simulated and they located their, their bodies back in the multiverse and went back to them. Somewhat violently, we could say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is kind of cool, sort of kind of comparing the the sort of agency that the uh, participants of these world hopping experiments have had, you know, kind of going forward. I feel like this, what we're, what we're going through now is, is, in this game, is definitely the least ethical conceptually. However, it's also an accident. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, like, this doesn't necessarily seem unethical, like, <laughs> no one was asked to participate, but that's because it's not, like, an experiment, it's an accident that we were all brought together and then we're all working to get home. Yeah, the, the intention wasn't to bring us here, it just happened to be a side effect of it. Yep. That we know. <laughs> <laughs> there definitely is that sense of a desperation yeah, uh, with trying to operate on pretty, all things considered, pretty primitive technology for what the purpose and desired outcome is. Yeah, because I think the last two, yeah, both of the times I've played Interstitial, both of my characters were not like world travelers or world hoppers. So I tend to be viewing this from like, oh, I've been popped into this mess. What do I have to do? I wonder if it would change if I had picked somebody who was a bit more conscious of the multiverse and what was going on here. Mm -hmm. I very purposefully wanted to have a world hopping character and I didn't really know why at first, but as I've gone into the game, it's just like, well, I can say Smog went to a bunch of different Final Fantasy-ish places and that way I can reference the maximum number of possibly conflicting Final Fantasy things. <laughs> I think that's great. <laughs> Can't wait for you to reference Smog playing basketball with Mario. Oh my god. Yeah, we did say that was at like the edge of possibility was like, here's a universe where basketball is really big and we play magic with it because Mario hoops three on three. Oh my god. <laughs> Super Smash Bros. I was gonna say the Smash Bros crossover too. I did specifically say that Smog was gonna go up to Geyser to call her Kefka-esque. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so there, there's where that's really paying off with smog yeah geyser has certainly gotten into some shenanigans in this particular <laughs> session they turned themselves invisible they jumped into a series water bubble which bad choice don't do that and then immediately from being ejected from the water bubble, they jumped onto Powder's back. <laughs> <laughs> and Powder was just minding their own goddamn business. And now they have this imaginary friend who feeds on negativity, negatively affecting their back. <laughs> well, guys are also turned Assyria invisible in that moment. That's true. Too. And Assyria was not conscious of that fact. She's like, why? I'm right here. Look at me. <laughs> Why can't you see me helping you? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sarah was trying to help out Powder. Powder's like, what, what, what's going on? I cannot. 
<laughs> I can't hear any. I can't see where you're going from. I am loving Geyser's basically cartoon powers. Yes. Just pulling things out of Hammer's face and stepping behind things to become invisible, whatnot. It's wonderful. I initiated that scene because I was like, wait, Smog needs to talk to Geyser because he's not happy about po the possibility of going back to his own world, which is something that Tara mentioned as part of the promise. And I'm like, no, you just have to say it. You'll, you'll be peaceful. But for Geyser, Smog has heard a little bit about what's going on in her home world and is like, are you really also okay with going home? Don't you want to be done with that as well? Aren't you looking for something better? But then Geyser is like, I must do the pranks. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see if that conversation happens again. But uh, for now, Swag has locked his dark link with her because she won't even talk to him. <laughs> won't even uh, entertain the idea. There, there's, there's an interesting level of depth with Geyser, but they just refuse to show it to anybody. And I'm kind of obsessed with it. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. There's hints on the sides of all of their actions and the things they say, but it never really has come to the forefront, and I feel like it's going to be really uncomfortable for them when it finally does. Yeah, I think there's definitely some room for Geyser to at least maybe open up about, like, sort of the web of stuff that's going on in their head, because they have such a, a very unique existence, and they sort of have to just deal with that, you know? What if, like, we're all in the, the Crab Strider... And we're psychically linked because we're all trying to manipulate it. And we experience geyser trauma. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. That's the only way we learn about anything going on with geyser. Oh, no. I, I'm waiting for Tao's next chance to perform where uh, they can try to talk geyser into being a wrestling heel. <laughs> Get all that negative emotion from the crowd. Ooh, we do know from last time that if Thanos loves pro wrestling so we've we've worked away from our circus thing and we're slowly working towards wrestling now well pro wrestling or pro wrestling just wrestling in general as a as an ancient greek god professional wrestling i think is what <laughs> yeah said. the thing is i think in the context for Thanos, a lot of it would appear as like the classical wrestling but um <laughs> i think that the applications could definitely be there for the pro wrestling <laughs> that Thanos has that personality absolutely they, t they definitely did a keg stand at one point during this party so absolutely i'm sure did a keg stand. professional wrestling is not far-fetched from their mindscape I love Carolyn just building up with Pony standing by the sidelines, seething about that as his powerful oil and eventually just joining in because she wants to actually be happy. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think at least from what I've sort of picked up is that Pony sort of sees Athenos as potentially a way of like actually, you know, being able to access unicorn powers more commonly more frequently in the future because they were able to do that that one time before. Yeah, they totally do not trust the humans around them, but this animal god-like creature has given them the one thing they've always wanted. So now it becomes a question, do I sell my individuality into servitude for this being to, to get what I want? And I think that might be something. Because they're pretty stubborn, they're pretty full of themselves. I don't know if Pony can fully like lose themselves to get what they want. Yeah, it remains to be seen. Uh, definitely, Pony's willing to go to quite great lengths in order to attain that. 
something that I've wanted to see with your want to see with your characters, especially going forward, is when faced with the prospect of going somewhere where they can get what they want potentially. Like, how do they sort of face that? You know, how do they sort of react to that in terms of the context of the potential for just going home? Yeah, for me with smog and juice, it's difficult because I'm sure like juice is just going to be wild, do whatever takes them to the next thing that looks exciting. And smog is happy to follow that for now. But at what point does he say enough? This is nonsense. I need to put myself back in the sort of context I was raised in and do something. Or is he going to be able to find home somewhere else? And like, did the terrible thing that he did before leaving his world really stick is a question that I'm sure he thinks about often. Like, did I have to run? I think that's, that's a question that Siri also shares. <laughs> <when Smog, laughs> have to run. Yeah. I think Tao doesn't really have that strong of a connection to their home world. They're more, at least at this point in their life, uh, more focused on, the business, the performances, than necessarily any people that exist in their home world. So it, it would be an interesting thought of like, do they really want to go back or are they fine going to another world and settling down there permanently? What sort of Tao's perspective on the idea of maybe they haven't thought about this, maybe it hasn't crossed their mind yet, but using these different worlds potentially in order to like we talked about like make the sort of world that is you know more idyllic for people you know without having to trap them in a um a virtual space like uh someone else that town knew did how do you think that might sort of tie into their sort of personal goals for what they hope to change for the world that at least they're from I mean, I think what Tao's going into this as initially thinking, like, there's all these worlds that we're going to, that is all these more potential fans, potential power sources, basically, to help create that world. But also maybe thinking of, like, seeing what the best parts of each of these worlds are and trying to take those in into consideration when creating their uh, new world that they hope to make. Maybe even also working with the, the folks here at Sequence Charter on their world travel technology in order to make his new world stable and create some stable ways in and out. That would be great. So yeah, they're, they're looking at this as all upside, basically. <laughs> it's really making me think about how Tron is used in Kingdom Hearts. Like, it would be so funny if, like, the context of Tao is supposed to be from another world entirely, but no, we just embed it in the computer systems of this completely other world. It's so funny, because, you know, the in that context, the, like, the grid is already just, like, its own sort of world, but yeah, you could just, you could bring it in around on a flash drive, you know? <laughs> so, it's so, it's so different. So before we actually got to the teleportation chambers and after we're done partying, we did have to figure out how the hell we get there. And we fly down toroid. Most of us just sort of went into our teleportation circle, teleportation sphere, without too much 
talking, but Siri did stick back and have a little apology to Torley. Yeah, this this was uh, a twofold decision that I made. One, because I rolled poorly and uh, <laughs> I was assigned a light link with Torrey and I felt guilty about <laughs> sitting on him. <laughs> but the other part is, Asiri may look scary, but she is not mean at her core. She can do some things that people would probably view as mean, i.e. being a predator creature scaring the living bejeebus out of somebody either intentionally or unintentionally but she as a person is is not cruel or mean by any stretch so i think if she realizes she did something wrong or hurt somebody she's immediately gonna like step up and be like hey i'm sorry and that's exactly what she did to Toro. she's like i didn't mean to like scare the hell out of you i didn't mean to <laughs> sit on you like that but there's a lot going on and Torrid was like you know what you gave me some cool stories even though I had to get power washed <laughs> to get the slime off of me, <laughs> we're good. <laughs> There's a sort of reconciliation there. <laughs> but then being a series foe or a series friend is dangerous because he almost drowns. Yeah, she pulls him into a hug reflexively, not thinking about it, and like engulfs him in the salt water. He's like, ah! <laughs> Their main hug, which involves uh, being quite immersed in water, head below waves. <laughs> I like the device of uh, a series sort of water bubble as literally a series personal space as a series personal bubble. I think it's kind of great. Oh, absolutely. She does not like things being close to her physically at all. And that's probably due to her sensory system. Like, obviously, if you're that close, then you're probably going to get eaten anyway. It's uncomfortable for her, so to have that, like, physically represented in a saltwater orb <laughs> is very convenient, and also a fun limitation to mess with. I, I think we also mentioned at one point that she has snacks swirling around her yes. inside of the orb. <laughs> uh, they, they left some food in there just so that they can sort of grab, grab on the go. So there is definitely debris <laughs> in that bubble. <laughs> Need to get a little filter feeder in there. <laughs> Just a little sushi go around floating oh around you. Oh my god, she would love that. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty soon after that, what the hell do we think was going on with Smog's juiced up Biathenos's or Gravija dark portal? What what the hell was happening there? I don't know. I have several questions because. I've never played a Final Fantasy game in full. I've like played parts of 10 and 7, I think. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure a lot about whatever lore you pulled up for that Esper space or whatever it was. <laughs> so depending on the game, there I think especially 6 does this. There might be like a place, like a, a Fey Realm or something like that, where yeah. the Espers live that is separate from the mortal area. So it's like, I've been referencing that the espers live somewhere else and they have their own lives that's not on the, the material plane or whatever. So why don't I name it here and just be like, Smog thinks they, they went to the like realm that shapes the, the material world that has all the elemental powers that pushes into it. That's his working theory. Can you again describe the space that we looked at? Oh, sure. So one of the main things that I want to impress is that the humans that you all sort of, you brought everyone in the room 
with you to this place because the portal was just that massive. But the humans that were in the room could not comprehend what was going on. They were in that place physically blind and like completely deprived of their senses in that brief moment where you guys were there you were sort of in this strange place with these this very bright white sky with these sort of black lines kind of going through it kind of coursing through it i think alex has a little bit more of the description it was definitely an open place which was the exact scene that smog described uh attempting to travel to when they sort of used their ult to make a portal. But uh, yeah, is there any other details that I happen to mention offhand, Alex? The, the one line that I have is that we see a sky flush with bright white light and black lines swirling through it. Yeah, that's the main detail. The rest of it is very stark, though. I, I think what Tao said when we got back was that it seemed like an unfinished world. Because Tao has definitely been thinking a lot about, you know, building their own world. And that just seemed like maybe the start of something being created or something that had been torn down to the very basics of, like, bright sky and basic shapes. And that's about it. Uh, Asiri, upon entering this place, was immediately like, oh my god, I'm not worthy, and shields their eyes, because it was, to her, it, it is emptiness, and to her, it's some aspect of the abyss. So she's like, I'm not supposed to be here, this is too great for me, so I'm just going to look away. <laughs> what did uh, Smog think? Well, they thought it was Esper space. Yeah. Uh, they're like, I'm the yeah, place this... of the gods, baby. <laughs> We're the place of the gods, baby, come on, let's go. <laughs> I love Smog. I love how Smog talks. It's great. I'm coming back into my Esper powers. <laughs> we haven't seen this for thousands of years. I don't know, because when we get back, all the scientists are, like, questioning things, and everyone has, like, a different answer, and Aura doesn't seem to be very satisfied with any of them. Aura is mostly like, so your teleportation isn't that great now, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if they said that, but they, um... As far as Smog's concerned, that's what happened. <laughs> that's how we interpreted it. Because the whole point was to demonstrate the sort of issue that they've been having, where they haven't been able to world jump, despite their best attempts up till now. It's always gone sideways somehow. And I think that's why I was like, yeah, I'll just try to maybe open one up and see how it goes. It sort of kind of repeated a pattern of, you know, kind of collapsing down and, you know, centering it back to zero in a way where you guys started. Just these anomalous, unpredictable effects when they try to hop between different worlds is sort of a struggle that they've been having. Yeah, and it, it came at a point where... Like, they were saying, oh, we're having all these troubles going between worlds, and Smog was like, what are you talking about? It's so easy, I'll show you. <laughs> so I could definitely see a bit of snark from Aura's end being like, see, what did I tell you? It's not that easy. To, to be fair, Smog was listening, and he was like, well, it sounds like it isn't going to work, but everybody coaxed him into it, and then it's was like, I'll give you a power boost. We'll definitely be able to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, everyone egged him on, which was also great. Like, yeah, no, because like, you know, everyone's mind there is like, hey, if, you know, if there is a way to actually you know, be able to at least allow you guys to leave, they don't want you to be stuck here. They think that you guys don't want to be stuck here. Might as well just, you know, 
throw it at the wall and see what <laughs> sticks in that regard. Oh, I should mention, because I had done my Dark Portal before, but didn't describe what was going on with Rig. Just like normal, smash the crystal into Rig to power it up. But this time it was growing outside the bounds of Rig and like phasing through it because it's like this space magic, this gravity magic. And I did not describe the smell of the Dark Portal before, so it released a nice grape scent for everyone. I love that. I, I think you did mention that when we got back. The room was just full of grape scent. Yeah. I, I feel like the original Dark Portal, you would definitely at least describe that. Yeah, that's right. It was at a lingering grape scent afterwards, too. Yeah. Jacked up those ohms. Oh, man. Moving from one somewhat interesting smell to a, a gross one. <laughs> I love that segue. That's great. Do um, it again. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we leave the, the warm embrace of the grape to the stinky embrace of the brown portal that Juice was, Juice and Siri were enthralled with. The stank portal. The warm embrace of the stank portal. Immediately after Dan got done describing all the portals, I was like, so Juice is going over to the stinky one and just like waving and chittering in your arms going... (laughs) It felt like, oh. I was like, hmm, if it's stinky, that means something's either rotting or otherwise gross. Does it smell good to a Syrian? Dan was like, yeah, probably. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so... uh, that's something I wanted to do with this is the sort of the preview that you guys have. Like, there's no names to these, like, like you know, on the top of them. There's nothing that you can immediately tell about the contents of them. But maybe just some senses that you can get, you know, some, some a few like observations you can make with your physical senses about what these were like. And of course, everyone gravitated tended to gravitate to the one that smelled really bad, apparently, <laughs> which is what I've been constantly thinking about afterwards and we've now entered the valley of defilement continuing my theory that this is just demon soul i, I promise you Zach, i i don't i don't know the only thing i know about demon souls is phalanx that's because they show up in dark souls i've only played the dark souls one although i guess this might be the poison swamp level yeah, a lot to see yeah. The, the trademark Miyazaki poison swamp level. <laughs> Cannot stop making poison swamps. The the way you've given us a preview definitely contrasts with that, what I did in my games too, because the setup was always that the group was in some sort of arcade and had a ridiculous amount of information about where they're going to. And they had a genre sense of what they were getting into, both narratively and gameplay wise. So they had this very like hyper aware level of where they were going. And we have next to nothing yeah i i hope to i hope to instill that sense of intrepid adventure you know where this sort of technology that you guys are now helping finalize uh, uh, effectively is is not finished (laughs) and going here is unpredictable and also just there's just a lot lot of unknowns you know A, a lot of mystery behind it that you guys are sort of peering peering beyond and starting to starting to uncover more about so i i I definitely like the like i like that contrast in a way it also makes sense and then in sticking in them in the same multiverse or whatever because everything that was happening in my games the transportation aspect was a simulation until you finally escaped 
So of course, it's still going to look rudimentary on the actual physical transportation side. Yeah, yeah. Like being able to have it in one, like in a simulation is great because, you know, it's able to produce those results and you can do those forensics on the results. You know, that's what Tony was all about, you know, analyzing how it behaved and understanding how it behaved. And this, I'm just like, we're kind of, we're kind of going with what we have and <laughs> seeing what works. <laughs> have no clue where it's going to go. We touched on this a little bit, but. Geyser thinks that the exploded portal might have been the one intended for them. Do you guys think there's any particular worlds that resonate with any of y'all that, just from the sensory descriptions we got from each of the gates, that sort of match where your character's from? I remember there was one that we got, like, a strong, like, sense of rhythm, like a beat coming from, that definitely seems to tie in with the musicality of Tao. Could also be a Siri, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah, my, my thought for a Siri was maybe the the dark one that's like cold and bluish. That sort mm, of yeah. gave me deep sea water vibes. I mean, we're already going toward the perfect world for juice, so it's hard to say that anything resonates much more than that, especially because Smog found juice in his home swamp being attacked by poachers and like knocking off the poachers and being identified as like a parent figure. So it's hard to say that there's one that jumps out to me more than that. But if I had to choose another one, probably our gray green world that's has like electricity hum just because of cyberpunk influences <laughs> in, in Smog's world. Yeah. Cause I have to wonder if, if it's not the gray green one for Pony, it might be the swamp one for Pony, just because of the nature of the Shrek universe. Yeah, but... <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know. It's and I know they're Dan. You said you've gone on the record and said they're not like our worlds, right? Correct. So it it could just be things that, like like you said earlier, things that we we want or are tempted with. There will probably be things we all sort of resonate with in these worlds, maybe to different degrees. A question for you guys. Do you guys have an idea which one might be a Thanos's? I'm not sure. I, yeah, I don't remember exactly what all of them were at the moment. You mentioned all of them besides the first one, which was this sort of... It was kind of... It, it was kind of cool temperature, and uh, there was kind of like a swirl of these greens and blues within it. I mean, yeah. By process of elimination, I had thought about that, and then mm. also, like seems coastal seems like it would also have some attachment with the siri especially i was thinking maybe that one could be pony as kind of like a coastal like naturey meadow type if pony isn't the swamp because Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> all i could say is i hope you guys go to uh, see every single one of them I, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Totally going to mess something up before that happens. Yeah, I, I assume we'll get around to all of them. But yeah, we'll see what happens back in Sequence Charter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the way this is sort of structured is basically around these different places. Going to them, connecting back to the hub world. So as far as like anything linear, it's... It's actually not <laughs> at this point. There was mainly the set piece of uh, the captain coming back that was uh, 
basically the main one there. The rest is sort of as it goes. What do we think? Well, we, I should mention, we heard some kid ask their father what the hell was was entering the swamp world distantly. I, I want to pay a little bit more attention to the echoing voice that we heard that I mentioned in the actual play section. What do we think about that voice, its, its existence, and the fact that the world is called the world of spirit, apparently, I would assume. Yeah, so, um, of course, I had to make titles for, or at least, like, names for all of these so I could keep track of them and stuff like that, too. But I, I figured um, it would be fun to also have the players understand what those were. And it was less of a voice and more of just kind of, like, the mental image, I guess, of those words in your guys' mind that labeled where you guys were as the world of spirit. Yeah, Siri's going to interpret that as either some sort of intuition or God-given vision. <laughs> that was God. That was definitely God. Yeah, that's just, you know, the title of the page we loaded from Tal's perspective. <laughs> <laughs> we followed the URL. Mm-hmm. Now we have the address to be able to get back here. Oh man, now I need a, I need a scene where Tao is literally surfing the the World Wide Web on a surfboard. <laughs> well, it's a little complicated because it's not a not the World Wide Web that we're used to <laughs> nearby. It doesn't have to be what we're used to, Dan. It just needs to happen. <laughs> That's true. That's perfectly valid. I think Smog probably feels similarly to a Siri, maybe not as intense, just because we've met a literal god and he just seems more at ease with espers in general but I, yeah i think that there there might be an idea for someone who's in a world like this to think there might be psychic powers at play or something but final fantasy doesn't have a ton of that going on there's not a lot of imagined voices unless it's an illusion that everyone can hear so i don't think psychic powers um are instantly smog slots you know functionality this is uh i also wanted you like to imagine this as like hey this is like the sort of kingdom hearts-esque like you go to a little place and you see the logo pop up too but this is much more mysterious and uh just kind of in your guys's brains i did that once for y'all in one of the crossover games between the first two and because one of you had been experimenting with fourth wall breaking magic, the others of you started catching on to it. So I had these balloons coming up saying the name of the world. And then Dex's character goes out and just grabs them. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And it's the only time I did like a name of the world pops up because you didn't have the context from the game because it was like a pinball machine that as soon as somebody pulled it, you all got ported there. And it wasn't a game that had already existed in the arcade. Towards Dan specifically, since you are a new DM, or GM in this case, what would you do differently if you could go back and redo the session over again? Oh, oh, this this session? Can I answer for the campaign as a whole so far? I had to take some time to get a feel definitely for pacing, for one. I, I started out with a real slow burn, literary style pacing. I mean, we had we had some really good scenes, but in a broader scope, not a lot was able to be accomplished. So I would I would definitely rework a few things to allow stuff to at least at least feel faster, maybe, but potentially be able to like 
you know get moving to different points a little bit a little bit better like pony and asiri you guys would have just been teleported to the lab for example instead of to the actual transport center that sort of thing i also i i i created a few too many characters for this world that are named and ever present so i would probably just leave some of them unnamed a little bit more transient like you know it's okay that there's more a little bit more this is a hub world this is a city that you guys in there's there's going to be a lot of different people there, but not all were necessary all the time. So I've definitely learned that so far in these first few sessions uh, of the game. So I'm going, to, I'm going to do my best to implement and improve upon that going forward. Yeah, it's funny because I think the last time we were on, pacing was one of the things we were really praising you on. But you've also learned as you've gone along. So you might already be implementing some of those things. I, de- I, I try to definitely do a lot of that this past session, and I hope that worked out well. I've, I get the feel that it's been oh, pretty decent so far. <laughs> Other than that, though, I've been I've been really enjoying it. show where we get to say something about the game with no responses what was your final say on this session zach the song that tau performed at the concert is miku sabbath by u2p give it a listen you can find me at zach defense on twitter what about you dan you guys went to the stink world it's gonna be pretty stinky there you can find me at a station orbiting earth i'm right now above alaska Alex, how about yourself? I'm going to try to put Juice a little more forward in this world that seems geared toward him. So we're all going to have fun with that. You can find me at Shining Crobat on Twitter. I also highly suggest that you check out Pillars of Eternity 2. If you like CRPGs at all, it has astounding writing. It's really fun to noodle between the four major factions they have going on in this archipelago. And there's big world-changing god circumstances going on. So if you like our conversation about deities here, you might be interested. And then for myself, I hope that Asiri starts to believe in herself a little bit more, but we'll see how that goes through. You can find me in your basement, hanging with your daddy long legs. This has been Resolve, an after-play show. You can find us online at most social media sites at Resolve AP. Except Instagram, which is at Resolve After Play. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. You can buy the game we're playing, Interstitial, Our Hearts Intertwined, from its creator, Riley Hopkins, at linksmithgames.com. All links will be in the description of this episode. Thank you again. We end our turn here, so now it's your turn. What's happening in your game? <laughs>